This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Good morning. What a great day to be in church, right? Absolutely. What a great song. You know, uh, at various times we come to church with different needs in our lives and different struggles, and uh, no doubt there are many here this morning who need healing. Just struggling with some area of life and just praying and hoping that God will bring some healing to that, and I hope and pray that for you as well. Many times I come to church and I pray that God would bring uh, help and healing into my life. And uh, we have, we have uh, such a special time this morning planned for you. Um, my name is Ron, and I'm the senior pastor of New Life, and I'm welcoming you to the last Sunday where we will be here only in one service. So you better enjoy this morning, all right? Next week, we go back to 9 and 11. This has been a very short chapter in our church's history, seven weeks to be exact. This is our seventh Sunday in this place, and uh, for the next two Sundays, we're going to be getting ready for the grand opening, which is September the 7th. You're not going to want to miss that. Uh, my guess is there's going to be, I don't know, 800 to 1,000 people here on that Sunday. Will that be fun? Absolutely. That'll be so much fun. So we're going to try the next couple of weeks. We've got to work at, uh, okay, how do we make this two-service thing work in this particular facility and get everybody going where they're supposed to be going, when they're supposed to be going there. And uh, so um, those will be fun services as well. Uh, I'm going to miss our Sunday kickoff service. And uh, uh, most of you have probably never been to that. We've only had seven of them. And uh, But uh, before all of you get here at 8.45 in the morning, the people that are now at work in our Kids Life Ministry and the Kids Construction Zone and those who are working with the junior high kids right now, they come here at 8.45 and we have a 45-minute long service. And it's, it's just wonderful. It's been great for me because I get to go to church. And I get to listen. I don't actually, I don't actually speak at that very often. So uh, I'm going to miss that. I'm going to miss having all of us together kind of in one service. I know many of you have met people. I've had several people tell me stories. I actually didn't know that my good friend went to this church. Uh, but uh, they went to first service, and I always went to second service. And when we had one service, I like, oh, you go here? Yeah, I sure do. So uh, I'm going I'm to miss that aspect. But part of it I'm not going to miss and that is making room for more people to hear God's Word. Ah, that's a great thing. And I look forward to a day when uh, both services are filled as full as we are this morning and even fuller. Um, because it just means more people will be allowing God to speak into their life through this church. And uh, that's one of God's agendas. So for you, even if this is your first time here, or you're just passing through and you're on vacation or you're visiting family, and this is kind of like your one and only time to be at New Life, my prayer is that you will not allow it to be a wasted time, that uh, you won't get so caught up in everything that goes on in the service, including people's cell phones that go off. And <laughs> I don't know who that was. Sorry over there. <laughs> that you won't get so caught up in uh, all the things that take place in church that you miss allowing God to speak into your life. Because even if you're only here for one Sunday, He has a message He wants you to get. And He has something He wants to do in your life. We are in the middle of a series of sermons called Life Lessons from the Psalms. And uh, boy, God is just speaking powerfully 
the Psalms, most of the Psalms, in fact, all of the five Psalms that we're dealing with in this particular sermon series were all written by the most famous king that Israel had, King David. And he was known as, as Israel's psalmist, and he, he authored most of the songs that went in their songbook, which is in your Bible, it's called the Book of Psalms. And as we've noted before, um, David wrote with a lot of passion, he wrote with a lot of feeling, he wrote with a lot of emotion. And we're going to see a little bit of that this morning. In fact, today, uh, the psalm is going to deal with portraits of God in action. Every photographer knows that if you're going to really capture the essence of a person's life, that you have to take more than one photograph. You might want to take some that are posed, you might want to take some that are candid, and if that person is is involved in activities that, you know, like athletics or whatever, then you want to take pictures of them in action. Well, today, it's as if David took the, the, the camera of his heart and he just pointed it at God's world, and every time he saw God in action, he simply pushed the shutter release and took a picture. And so in this psalm this morning, we're going to see six pictures of God in action. And then out of those six, around those, one at the beginning and two at the very end, David is going to teach us three life lessons out of those six pictures. So let's, let's jump into that, okay? Psalm chapter 34, and I'm going, to, I'm going to take it in a little bit different order than you have it in your notes. So um, you're going to have to really pay attention. I want you to jump down to where it says picture number one, because that's where we're going to break into the psalm. And this is where David points his camera and says, what do I find God doing in life? And what he found God doing is this. I prayed to the Lord and he answered me. He freed me from all of my fears. Now there's a lot in that little verse. All of us have fears, things that we're afraid of in life, things that cause us to kind of put on the brakes, and and adventures that we choose not to take because we're afraid that we might fail at that adventure, or we're afraid that somebody else might think bad of us if we fail, or we're afraid of that adventure because earlier in life someone perverted that adventure for us, and they tainted it. And it makes us gun-shy to jump on board and even explore some whole area of our lives. It could be something very simple. It could be that we stood up in the sixth grade to give a book report and some kid heckled in the back and made fun of us. And from that point on, we felt like we could never stand in front of people and talk again because it brings up that silly thing in our lives. It's amazing how often we find ourselves limited by the fears, the voice of fear that talks in the back of our heart and in our subconscious mind. Now, David said, I prayed to the Lord. I want you to underline and circle the word prayed because that's a very important concept. If you want to see God at work in your life, then you have to pray. You see, one of the reasons that we would take these snapshots of God and that David would take the snapshots of God is because he wanted to actually get to know God. And one of the best ways to get to know God is to actually sort of hang out with Him. It's, 
It's to observe him in everyday life. You might get to know someone by reading a book about them. And sometimes people do. In fact, the Bible is a book in many ways about God. And you could get to know God some by reading the Bible. But we're going to give you two other ways this morning that you can get to know God at a deeper level. And here's, here's the first of those two other ways. And that is you have to, you have to see God at work and communicate with Him. And David said, I prayed to the Lord and He answered me and He freed me from all of my fears. Picture number one is God responds to those who seek Him. That's great news. That's good news. Uh, If you came this morning expecting me to stand up here and tell you how bad and evil everybody is and and how you should be afraid of God and you're just lucky that you have a church to come to and you better get on your knees and beg for forgiveness because if, if you're expecting that message, that's not the overwhelming message of the Bible. And I'm sorry if somebody ever gave you that message. Yes, there is a side to God that demands justice. And when we do what's wrong, we have to expect the justice of God to prevail at some point. But now is the age of God's grace in which he invites us to come. And God says, here's what I want to do. If you will call out to me, if you will pray to me, I don't care if you're not very good at it. I don't care if you even don't know what to say. If you just bow your head and say, God, I don't know what to say. But I want to say something. I want to acknowledge that I know you exist. And God, I'm just here because I want you to do something in my life. I'm encountering this situation, whatever it is. And God, I don't know what to do about it. But I know it's not bigger than you. And I know that you've got an answer for it. So I'm just, I'm all ears. I'm here. That's not too hard to do, is it? No, and and that's that's what God wants. If If we'll call out to Him, God responds. Maybe, maybe you should just encircle those two words. Because I want you to know, if that's the only message you get this morning, I want you to get that, that God responds. He's not distant. He's not uncaring. God wants to respond to you in your life this morning. Now, the second picture is found in the very next verse. And that is God preserves the honor of those who trust Him. Here's how David said it. Those who look to Him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their face. I sat with a guy not too long ago. And he began to open up and tell me the story of his life. And you know what he kept saying? I just have so much shame. Hmm. And you know, the amazing thing was some of the shame that he was experiencing was the result of, of, of choices that he was making in that moment of time. But a lot of the shame he was experiencing had to do with things that people had done to him as a child. And he still carried that shame. Some of you today are sitting in situations where your good reputation is being maligned unjustly. And people are saying things about you that are not true for who knows whatever reasons. I've been in that situation before. 
I've been in that situation actually quite a few times. And sometimes you think, I'm never, ever going to get beyond these false accusations that people are making against me. I was walking with the mayor one day, and she was asking me a question about another church in town. And she made a remark that was was just an inquisitive remark. And I said to her, would you like to know the other side of that story? And she said, there is another side? And, And I looked at her and I smiled and I said, of all people, you should know that what's printed in the newspaper is not always really accurate. <laughs> she said, understood. <laughs> and I went ahead to share the rest of the story, and, and it gave her a whole different perspective. Now, you know, the interesting thing about that whole, um, just that, that little event was this. It's so hard sometimes when people will say things about us. And we would like to stand up and say, can I, can I say the truth? Yeah. Now I want you to look at this verse one more time. It says, no shadow of shame will darken their faces. That doesn't mean that God is saying to you, if, boy, if you trust in me, from this day on, no one will ever say anything false about you because after all, let's take a look at God's son Jesus. How to go for him. Did anybody ever say anything about him that didn't turn out to be true? What were they saying the day that that he died? They said, crucify him. Crucify him. Away with him. It's not fit that such a man should live. And you think, whoa, whoa, whoa. What about that uh, shadow of shame promise that God gave? Well, I have a question for you. How's Jesus' reputation today? Is it okay? Is it pretty synonymous with sinlessness? Yeah. You know, it doesn't mean... You know what I wrote in my notes? I wrote in my notes, the good guys win in the end. It doesn't mean that no one ever says anything false about you. But what it does mean is this. When someone says something false about you, God begins to set in order a chain of events that eventually is going to vindicate you so that people will know who and what you really are. Now, now our deal is, and we're going to talk about that in uh, next week, actually. Our deal is that God's time frame on that and ours are often a long ways apart, Right? They said something about me five minutes ago, and I wonder why God hasn't cleared it up already. We'll talk about that next week. But I want you to know that one of the things that God dedicates Himself to is He's so responsive to what goes on in your life that when someone falsely accuses you, you don't, you oftentimes you don't even have to ask God. It's great if you do, but you don't have to ask God, God, would you please protect my reputation? Because I have, I want to, and I have acted with integrity, and I'm being charged with things that are not congruent with who I am or what I've done. And God says, right on it. The third picture of God in everyday life is this. God values and treats all people equally. He values and treats all people equally. Notice... 
What are the first three words of this next verse? This poor man. This poor man called, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all of his troubles. As I think about how God deals with us, in my notes I wrote, it doesn't take talent, it doesn't take money, it doesn't take power, it doesn't take fame, it doesn't take beauty, it doesn't take intelligence, it doesn't take any of the things that, that, that normally gets recognized in this world. It takes none of those to get God's attention. What did it take? For this guy to get God's attention, all he did was call. He picked up the prayer phone and said, anybody home up there in heaven? And what was the voice? It was the voice of God who said, I'm listening. Yeah, this poor man called and the Lord heard him. That verse could begin, this rich man called and the Lord heard him. That verse could be, you know, this poor lady called, this poor child called, this old man called, this young man called. It doesn't make any difference. It's just that God loves and values and treats all of us equally. And by the way, that's true. Not just for the righteous and and not true for the unrighteous. Oftentimes people think, golly, if I, if I was a pastor or a teacher in the church and I called out to God, I think He would hear me. But I'm not a pastor and I'm not a teacher in the church and, and, and I haven't done anything, quote, religious for a long time. In fact, this is kind of my first time to show up at church and already the pastor saying, if I call out to God, He'll hear me. Why would I believe God would hear me if, if I call out to Him? I give you one good reason. Because you were created to be His child and He knows you. And He cares. God responds. I heard a pastor say one time, at the foot of the cross, the ground's all level. Nobody stands any taller than anybody else. It's all level there. So here's picture number four. God protects those who respect Him. God, notice what David said. The angel of the Lord is a guard. He surrounds and defends those who fear Him. Now, I want you to underline that word fear because in two weeks, I'm going to preach a sermon called The Liberating Fear of God. Most of us would not put the two words liberating and fear in the same sentence, correct? But we're going to talk about the liberating fear of God because that's a subject that is in just page after page after page of Scripture and it's very often misrepresented to people. And I want us to understand that very clearly. So I'm not going to get into a lot of what it means to fear God, but I want you, in your mind this morning, one of the major components of fearing God is trusting Him. And that's why I wrote, God protects those who trust in Him. Now, again, I want to paint an accurate picture for you because this is earth and not heaven. In heaven, God protects us to the point that nothing evil or harmful or hurtful or damaging or that would make us sad or cry. God protects us from all of that stuff. But don't for a heartbeat think that on this earth God will do that. 
I know there are pastors that will tell you, boy, you get on board with God and He'll make you wealthy and healthy and, and, and you'll live a long time. and you'll, It's just like one great party and somehow if you're not experiencing that, you're just not in tune with God the way you're supposed to be. Well, that's just not true. In this life, God says, I'm going to bring a level of protection. Let me, ex- let me illustrate it for you. Golf courses that I go and golf on, many of them have golf carts. And a golf cart has built into it a thing called a governor. It's what keeps idiots from driving 50 miles an hour down the fairway. Okay? So you can, put, you can put the accelerator all the way to the floor, and it only goes so fast, and then it just stays right there. Even going downhill, it only goes so fast, and it stays right there. And in fact, if you have a modern electric golf cart, when you're going downhill, it not only stays there, it starts to put on the brakes for you. Now, the Bible very clearly says that God will not allow you to be tested or tempted or tried more than you are able to bear. And when the trials come into your life and they start to mount and your internal RPMs start to really ramp up, you know what God says? God says, I'm going to be a guard. I'm going to be a governor in your life. And I will let the trials come only so fast. And then I'm going to hit the limiter. And I won't let any more come until you've been able to deal with those. Now, some sitting in our audience are close to the limiter. In fact, some sitting in our audience are probably saying to God, you know, God, I think I hit the limit a long time ago. I wish you would wake up and figure that out for me. We've all had times we felt like, I'm not sure. I think God's faith in me is bigger than my faith in myself, right? He must think I can handle more than I think I can handle. Of course, most of us are babies, right? We get one trial. That's enough, right? One, I mean, anything more than that would be considered cruel and unusual punishment. And God knows exactly what He's doing in our lives. And this is earth. And so God doesn't come in and just throw out every negative situation. That's not what it says. But God is a guard around your life. And it's important for you to know that. And when trials begin to mount in your life, it's important for you to say, God, I understand the trials are coming thick and fast. But I am so grateful that I don't have to fear going under. Because I know that you know how strong I can be. And you will make sure that the strength you give in my life is always greater than the trials you allow to come. The angel of the Lord is a guard around those who fear him. Picture number five. God is completely good. Now, David has just rattled off four wonderful snapshots of God. And he's thinking, wow, God responds to those who, who seek Him. And, and, and God preserves the honor of those 
who trust in him and, and, and God values and treats people equally and the angel of the Lord is a guard around people and David's just thinking, you know, God's really cool. God's really good. Because think about that, all the, all the things that God could do that would be corrupt in his position of power, he does none of them. And so David just kind of blurts out, taste and see that the Lord is good. All oh, the joys of those who take refuge in him. I want you to come with me just for a minute in your imagination. Because so far David has said, now listen, I'm painting pictures for you. And as I'm painting pictures, I want you to see God doing this. And I want you to see God doing that. And I want you to see God doing this thing. Now I want you to come with me for a minute to God's kitchen. Because I don't want you to just see what he's cooking up what does he say to do i want you to dip your finger in and take a sample taste and see when my wife is baking chocolate chip cookies she knows that if she wants to make me really happy before they ever go in the oven She will say, taste and see if the recipe is good. She already knows it's good. I already know it's good. That's why I want to taste. (laughs) You understand? That's the whole point of samples. That's why most of you go to Costco on Friday afternoon. (laughs) All you cheapskates who don't want to go buy dinner. You just go up and down the aisles and eat the goodies, right? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Yeah. David just says, come on in and take a look at the smorgasbord of what God does. Taste and see. Now, I said a while ago that there were three ways that we could get to know God. And the first was by reading a book about Him. The second was by observing Him in life. And here's number three. Number three is... To experience God yourself. And friends, that's what God would want you to do today. Taste and see. Maybe this is your first introduction to a God who really cares. Maybe you've never thought about God in this context. God would say, just taste and see. Pick two or three times this week and and just get alone some quiet place and pray. It doesn't have to be long. God just wants to hear from you. And just begin to open up and talk to Him about life. God will respond to that. Taste and see that the Lord is good. He says, oh, the joys of those who take refuge in Him who recognize that in the injustices of life and the struggles of life and the perils that we face, those who recognize there's one safe place in this world. Friends, you can't have enough money in the bank to be completely safe. You can't even have enough friends because at some point, you might encounter something in this life that your friends can't help you with. But there is one who offers you a place of safety. 
For at the end of your life, not one of us can walk through that valley with you, but God will. That's a great thing. Taste and see. So then, picture number six is this. He says, God provides everything that his followers need. This is kind of the summarizing statement. David's starting to list this whole list, and then he goes, wow, God's really good. Then he thinks, you know, if I were to list in this psalm everything that God does for us, it would be one long psalm. So he gives a summarizing statement. Fear the Lord, you his godly people, for those who fear him will have all they need. Even strong young lions sometimes go hungry, but those who trust in the Lord will what? Lack no good thing. I want you to underline that last phrase because I want that to sink in. Those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. He doesn't say those who trust in the Lord will lack nothing that they desire, right? Because we all desire things that we not only don't need, some of which are not even good for us, but those who trust in the Lord will lack no good thing. What a great way to live. What a great way to live that we can trust the God who gives us everything we need. Now about those three lessons, let's take a look at the first one, and it's, it's how David began the psalm. Back, way back in verses 1, 2, and 3, David wants us to know because of what God does, God deserves our highest praise and worship. For about 25 or 30 minutes, we stood this morning and we sang praises to Him. We sung to Him as the healer and all the other things that you and I stood and we sang together. They were various forms of praise and worship to God. And David begins by saying, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly speak of His praises. I will boast only in the Lord. Let all who are helpless take heart. Come, let us tell of the Lord's greatness. Let us exalt His name together. And as I gathered together with the, the members of our worship team and other people um, who, who are going to be on the platform this morning, and we began to pray, it hit me, there's really only three reasons we're here this morning. The first is we've gathered together in the name of God to proclaim and declare that there's no one like Him. You ever, you ever see a sporting event and some guy out there is, has done something that seems superhuman and, 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 a, and, a, and a row of guys in the stands will do this number, you know, and say, we are not worthy, we are not worthy kind of a thing. And everybody thinks that's kind of cute. Now that's okay, it's kind of funny. But basically what they're doing is what you and I should do with God all the time. For He does what is way past superhuman. And you know something? We are not worthy. We're just blessed. Big difference. So David says, that's what I do in my life. I will continually speak of God's praises because there's no one in this world who has done or can do in my life what God is doing. And I'm so grateful. So lesson number one, God is worthy because of all that he's done. Life lesson number two is this. Reverencing God is the key to a great life. 
You know, once we begin to understand that life is about God and His work in us and that we were created to share this life with Him and we find our highest good in sharing this life with Him and that we were created to share eternity with Him and that in the end the rest of life is periphery and it falls away and it pales in comparison to what it means to share life and eternity with God, then we begin to understand why reverencing God is the key to a great life. And David says it like this, come my children, listen to me and I will teach you to fear the Lord. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Anybody on board with that? I'm on board with that. Okay. Then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Anybody struggle with that? Yeah, no. (laughs) We were all on board with that living long and loving life, right? (laughs) No, but it's going to... Yes, we all struggle with that. And turn away from evil and do good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. You know what David is saying? David is saying that once you understand that life begins with God at the top, not because He's a cruel and inhumane boss, but it starts with God at the top because He's the designer and the author of life. And He says to us, if you want to enjoy life, you really want to get the most out of life, listen up. And I'll tell you how to do it. And God begins to teach us the principles of life. And so what does He say? He says, if you're going to talk, bless with your mouth. And you'll love life. And we go, but God, sometimes I don't want to bless. You ever have to give your kids... Gossip lessons and tattletale lessons and cursing lessons. They come with that stuff already figured out, right? Because we all have that stuff in us. And God says, no, you don't want to listen to that. You don't want to be a part of that. And you know, in short, if you look at that last phrase, search for peace and work to maintain it. In short, God will teach you to do everything in your life that tends toward peace and goodness and harmony. Not not only within yourself, but with the people around you and, and helping even people around you learn how to live in peace and harmony with each other. Because it's what God wants for all of us. So the good life begins with learning to respect God. And then life lesson number three is this. The righteous and the unrighteous View God from a different perspective. (laughs) The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right. His ears are open to their cries for help. But the Lord turns His face against those who do evil. He will erase their memory from the earth. The Lord hears His people when they call to Him for help. He rescues them from all of their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The righteous person faces many troubles, but the Lord comes to his rescue each time. For the Lord protects the bones of the righteous. Not one of them is broken, but calamity will surely overtake the wicked. And those who hate the righteous will be punished. But the Lord will redeem those who serve him. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. You know, the the illustration I want to give you is the coach. God is like the ultimate coach in life. And when the coach takes the field and he blows his whistle and says, okay, everybody, this is what we're going to do. You can take every team 
every team in the world and you can just divide it into two groups. There's that one group of people that says, right on, coach, where are we going? And they listen and they go and do it and they run their laps and they do their warm-ups and they go through all the exercises and they show up early and they do all the stuff and they think coach is great because coach is teaching them how to win and then you have the other crowd, right? Ah, way! How come we got to run laps again? We ran yesterday! And to them, the coach is always a burden. Now you know what's amazing? Same coach. Different perspective. And I'll tell you what. Once you understand that like a good coach, God's on your side, you might not always understand fully why He's asking you to do what He's asking you to do. But you don't necessarily have to understand why. Because you trust Him. That's the deal. You see, God is God. And you and I are not. And you and I might not fully understand the picture of what He's painting on the canvas of our lives. But if we'll learn to trust Him, the picture turns out okay. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.